On a list of important things to do, most of us would say that getting or updating a will gets pushed way down towards the bottom of that list. There's nothing fun about contemplating death and its immediate consequences, but now and then we face that reality and we might consider doing some estate planning. We don't have to like it, we just have to do it for the sake of our families. I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And on this episode of The Grand Life, we talk to an elder law attorney who practices in the state of Virginia. Elder law actually is a thing. It's about making sure that everything plays out as you intend once it's time for what you have left behind to go into the hands of others. Kathy Sears is an estate planning and elder law attorney in Williamsburg, Virginia, with the Peninsula Center for Estate and Lifelong Planning. She routinely creates wills, powers of attorney, medical directives, and revocable trusts for her clients. She graduated from William & Mary Law School in Williamsburg, Virginia in 2017. She became interested in elder law when she was a teenager, when her grandfather developed dementia. She has since dedicated her career to helping other families navigate the legal process of aging more smoothly than her family's experience with him. Kathy, welcome to The Grand Life. It's nice to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. We appreciate hearing from you because um, elder law is its own beast, I imagine. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your experience with your grandfather before we get talking about wills. How did it not go so smoothly? So um, he had done a power of attorney and a trust and had done everything he was supposed to while he was of sound mind. Mm -hmm. And then he developed dementia. um, And unfortunately, one of the symptoms that commonly accompanies that is paranoia. Mm. So he became very paranoid and concerned um, that my uncle, who was acting as the agent on the power of attorney, you know, doing exactly what my grandfather had asked him to do, yeah. um, was actually not behaving properly. Um, mm. And so he, he just kept trying to undermine my poor uncle at every turn. Um, so it, it was difficult. We almost needed to go to court uh, to have my grandfather's ability to make his own decisions actually be turned off um, and for my uncle to become the guardian and conservator but then his his health ended up declining Hmm. where that wasn't necessary after all. Wow, that's messy. Tough tough stuff. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's hard. You know, I know that creating a will can sometimes be different across state lines, and you live in Virginia, but in general, how important is it to have a will updated? Now, you didn't say anything about his being not updated, but what, for example, my parents have one that was created back in the 1980s, and my dad has since passed away. My mom still wants to stick with that one that she made up way back then. And what's your opinion on that? Should she get a new will, or is she okay with the one she has? Yeah, good question. Um, so first, like you said, I definitely am only licensed to practice law in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, so estate planning is governed by individual state law. So I definitely can't speak to uh, any state other than Virginia. But I would say a will from 1980s definitely is time to update. Um, There have been a lot of changes in the federal laws since then. Um, Certainly we recommend that clients update their wills um, anytime there's a change in the family situation Mm -hmm. as well. So the death of your father would be the perfect opportunity. just to make sure that the plan that was once a backup plan 
really will do what it's needed now that it's going to be the realistic plan that's happening, you know, the first choice plan. Are you saying that there are things in a first choice plan that might not work the way they're expected when when not every one or everything is in place? Correct. So um, a, a goodwill should plan for all sorts of different what-if scenarios. Yeah. Uh, so oftentimes when it's a married couple, you know, it, the will leaves everything to spouse first, and then if spouse isn't living, uh, the money would go equally to the children. Now that your dad is gone, okay, that means that that backup plan that the will put into place should go into effect and be fine, right? The assets just go equally to the children. But none of us knows what's going to happen in life. So what if, heaven forbid, something happens to one of the children? Mm. You know, did that original will go into a tertiary backup plan uh, with Mm -hmm. who gets a deceased child's share? Did it name backup executors of the will? uh, Or did it just say, that spouse is the executor. Now I understand Um, what you're saying, yeah. I mean, what's the danger of not having a will? The Commonwealth of Virginia has what's called intestacy law. So it's basically the state's best guess at who a person would want to Mm. receive the assets. Um, And so for some people with kind of a, a very traditional family dynamic, maybe the intestacy law does actually meet their wishes. Mm -hmm. For most families, um, it doesn't necessarily reflect the wishes, especially if you would rather um, a larger percentage go to a certain member of the family or some money go to charity. Mm. There's also, at least here in Virginia, certain powers that need to be expressed specifically in a will in order for your executor to have them. Okay. So, uh, for example, the power to sell a house. Um, so it's it's a big headache if there is real estate because then um, a court actually needs to get involved to give the family member the authority to sell the house mm. on behalf of the deceased person. It's just now occurring to me, and I'm a little slow on this, that in our situation, because we've moved to be uh, living closer to a different set of grandchildren, uh, the laws are different and we probably really need to have another look at this, given uh, the, the the law that would now be in effect if one of us were to die while we live here. Absolutely. We always tell clients, anytime you move across state lines, that's the perfect opportunity to meet with an estate planning attorney and consider doing an update. Um, same thing if anything happens to a, a family member, you know, time sure. to revisit and make sure that things really say what you want. Um, and then every five years or so, you know, even if the rest of life seems pretty static um, in that five-year period. Uh, but because the laws do change over time, um, and especially the power of attorney tends to be stale, sometimes banks will give families a harder time accepting that document if it's older than five years. Oh, wow. You know, I'm wondering for some people, uh, financially, they'll feel like that. I, I don't know what the average cost of having, what can you expect? Is there some kind of um, average cost of getting your will updated? Yeah, hard to say. Um, a lot of it's based on the geographic area. Um, mm-hmm. You know, certainly the, the cost of living here in Williamsburg is a little bit different than in New York City right. or Boston or places like that. So I imagine it would be uh, more expensive there. A lot of it depends on the complexities involved as well. You know, it's this really, truly a simple 
everything to spouse and then to the kids? Or do we need to factor things in like a beneficiary with special needs or minor beneficiaries, you know, needing to hold the assets and trust for them, things like that? Yeah. You know, you're talking about a lot of things that I think would be confusing to people who might not really get all the lingo, but I've heard of people who do these things, who who pre- create their own wills online. They don't have to pay a lot of money. How important is it to use a lawyer? I mean, can you do it online? Is it okay? Or should we always use a lawyer? So I know I'm going to sound biased, but please, please go through an actual lawyer. It doesn't <laughs> have to be me, but just go through a lawyer, please. Um, there's a reason that we had to go to law school for so many years mm. um, and take continuing education classes. Um, the types of things that you can find online just don't probe deeply enough to really give people what they need, in my experience at least. Maybe you could explain to us uh, what a revocable living trust is, because we hear that thing bandied around and we're like, we don't have one right yet. And we're like, maybe we really need that. And why is it important to even have one? Very good question. So really, there's three different ways that assets can pass upon a person's death. So the first is through beneficiary designation. We see that on things like IRAs or life insurance policies. Mm -hmm. Second way is through a will. A will says anything that doesn't have a beneficiary named on it, goes to these people. Um, Wills go through probate. It's just the state's process of wrapping up a deceased person's affairs. For some people, probate really isn't so bad. For other people, probate is something that they really want to avoid. Hmm. And so a revocable trust is the third way that assets can pass um, in a way that avoids probate. It's basically a box that people create during their lifetime the goal is that you fill that box up with your assets while you're alive. So you're talking about a literal box? <laughs> no, it's just a legal document, uh, <laughs> but it, it's helpful to think of it. <laughs> okay, we're talking metaphorically. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> just want to clarify that for people who, who might think they're putting papers in a in a box. <laughs> Which is a comforting thing to do but when you're of a certain age or have done things like that with the bank in the past. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's... yeah just, just metaphorical, but <laughs> the, the reason I call it a box is that you do need to fill it up with the assets in order for it to avoid probate effectively. So part of the lawyer's job is to give you rules, you know, instructions uh-huh. on this is how to change the ownership of your bank account so that you don't own it, but it's this box that owns it instead. And so that way, when you pass away, you can say, hey, sorry, state, I personally didn't own anything anymore. It's my box that owns all of it instead. And so that way, the the rules of the box say who receives the assets, but without needing to go through probate to make that happen. So you do want it to be filled up, but it's still metaphorical. Okay. okay. Your attorney then helps build the box and then leaves you with instructions on how to fill it. Then you're done with the attorney, right? You just work at filling the box. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, that is really good to know. I think maybe some other people needed clarification on that as well. No, it's a great it's a great mental picture as long as we know that it's a picture <laughs> and not a thing. <laughs> yeah. 
Let's talk a little bit about willing things or money specifically to our grandchildren. Um, I remember that my grandmother, I don't know that she willed me the money, but my parents gave me a certain amount of money and said, this is what she wants you to have. So it might have been in her will. It might not have. Is that something we need to do or should we just you know, tell the adult children in our will that we want them to do something for our grands? Very good question. So a lot of it depends on each specific family, obviously. Um, but Meaning, can you trust your children to do what you're asking, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah. yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and they may not be bad people. They may find themselves in a really tough moment economically, yeah. worse than they have ever experienced. And so they may be tempted to think, well, you know, the greater good is that I use those assets that were just inherited instead of giving them to the grandchildren. I know that's what mom and dad wanted, but, but things changed. So got it. Absolutely. Or even if it's something beyond their control, you know, they have a a judgment against them. Mm -hmm. um, And so then it's not their fault that the money's funneling someplace else. Just legally, it belongs to them. They are indebted to somebody else. So now... Yeah, like a lien or something, you're saying. Or an accident. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what should we do if we want to make sure that our grands get that uh, necklace you want one of them to have or the whatever? So um, it's a little different if it's a specific physical item versus actual monetary bequest. Okay. At least here in Virginia, and I would imagine in most states, Minors are not legally allowed to inherit money. Oh. Sometimes I've had clients say, well, I just named a grandchild as a beneficiary on this life insurance policy or this IRA. Mm. And then I'll ask them, well, how old is your grandchild? And they'll say, oh, she's three. (laughs) Well, that's a problem because the three-year-old is not allowed to inherit money. So if you die before she turns 18 then a court is going to need to get involved. A guardian will need to be appointed over that estate, um, even though her parents are still living. Oh, wow. Um, And it's complicated and expensive and way more oversight than what people intend. Yeah. Um, There are ways you could still benefit a grandchild without leaving the money to them directly, um, which would be to hold the money in trust for their benefit. Okay. To say that someone else manages the money for them until they turn 18 or however old you want. Um, or another alternative that people sometimes uh, implement is to direct the money into a minor's account for the grandchild's benefit. Similar concept that, look, it's, it's going into this special account. It doesn't actually legally belong to you until you reach a certain age. Oh, I see. So is this part of what would be put in the box of the revocable trust, or would this be in the will? Good question. So um, if people have a revocable trust, then not only is the trust a metaphorical box, Mm -hmm. um, but it's also a a literal rule book. Um, And so some of the rules of the trust would be to say, when I die, my granddaughter gets $20,000 to be held in trust until she turns 21. Okay. Um, and so part of the trustee's job um, upon the grandparent's death would be to follow those rules and using some of the 
money that's been put into this metaphorical box, you know, to, to satisfy that bequest. If people don't have a trust and just have a will instead, then those same rules can be outlined in the will. And it's just that the executor of the will would be responsible for making that happen. So okay. either way, it, it can happen in a trust or in a will. Okay. And I'm just going to ask for one more clarification. So normally an executor or, or executress of a will is um, your daughter, your son. And is a trustee something different? So a trustee is a very similar concept. Um, it's just the fiduciary in charge of the trust. So the, the person following the rules of the trust in exactly the same way that the executor of a will is the person following the rules of the will. So they're, they're both fiduciaries, both required to act in the best interest of that rule book. Okay. And who appoints the trustee? Uh, the, the client. Okay. So whoever is creating this rule book, that's one of the rules is to say, this is the person I'm naming as my trustee. Okay. And they probably have to have a backup too, right? <laughs> I'm assuming sure. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has all been really, really interesting because I think a lot of us just avoid the whole thing. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. Um, I think, you know, the temptation to do it online is to keep it all s kind of secret and you don't have to tell anybody or you have to pay for it as much. But I think as we have been talking, <laughs> I'm very aware that, you know, really most people, you know, off the street are pretty ignorant about what they have to do. We, we heard your emotion come through when you talked about how important it is to use a real lawyer as opposed to a, a form or, a, or a, some online service. What's the one message you'd want to convey to grandparents about what you, what you think needs to be done, what needs to be happening? Please actually do it. Um, you know, it's, it's worth the money. It is expensive, I'm not going to lie. Um, but it's so worth it because realistically we are all going to die someday right we hope it doesn't happen for a very long time um, but you don't want to leave your families in this big mess because you put off having that legal framework in place um, even more so you know at least here in Virginia and again I believe in most states there are that set of um, intestacy you know default rules if people don't have mm -hmm. a will but here in Virginia, there's nobody else with the ability to handle your financial matters except you, unless you have a power of attorney. And so if something happens to you, you know, and this is for people of any age, um, none of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And so having a power of attorney in place to say who has authority to step into my shoes and handle my legal and financial affairs um, is just such a blessing to your family so that they can actually give you the help that they want to give. It's really a gift from the grave, isn't it? Absolutely. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. This is a, is a, a very uh, 
sobering subject, but I think it's a really important thing. And um, as we go forward, we want to make things easiest for our adult kids and also for our grandkids. We want to uh, gift them too, so that they know that they mean something special to us. So I appreciate the help and we will uh, look forward to maybe, maybe Mike and I need to make an appointment. (laughs) Come on in. I'd be happy to to help you out. Well, so we recorded that interview a few days ago, and I guess we need to confess about whether or not we've actually done the thing that she so passionately wants us to do. Yeah, we haven't. But but we're going to make it a priority when we can afford it, as soon as we can afford it. That's like top of our list. Yeah, it's an investment, but it's an investment that pays real dividends to the family and all the mess that they have to work through, you know, upon your passing. Yeah, it's all about intentionality. I mean, that's kind of our theme of the grand life, and this is about being intentional. And just a footnote, Kathy was speaking about her own practice and her own clients in Virginia. And of course, the law may work a little differently where you live, so her comments might not apply quite the same. And you'll want to talk to someone who knows the laws of your state and is licensed to practice there. In the meantime, I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thanks for joining us in Living the Grand Life. Next time on The Grand Life... I'd often be the only Canadian in the group. And someone would say to me, you're Canadian. And I'm like, how do you know? And they said, first of all, you say A a lot and you apologize for everything. Someone stands on my foot and I say, oh, sorry. Sorry, I had my foot in the way. I'm not sure where that comes from in a sense. That's next time on The Grand Life.